1: Welcome to the Pat Williams Power Hour, AM 990 and FM 101.5, The Word. This is your hour when Orlando Magic Senior Vice President Pat Williams sits down and speaks with authors who have written books on topics of interest and insight for listeners like you. And now, here's your host, Pat Williams.
2: Welcome again, folks, to the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour. We gather like this Every weekend here on the new AM 990 and FM 101.5, The Word in Orlando. Our engineer is uh, Pete Paquette. He he gets us on the air. Andrew Herdliska produces the show. And I'm so pleased to reconnect with Dr. Greg Jantz uh, out in the Seattle, Washington area. Founder of The Center, A Place of Hope. His book is called When a Loved One is Addicted. How to offer hope and help in rebuilding trust after betrayal. Hope and help for broken relationships. Greg, welcome back to Orlando. I hope you're well.
3: Oh, good to be with you today. Hey, we've got a good a good, and somewhat painful topic, but there is some good news. Well,
2: why did you write it?
3: So, Well, you know, one of the things, this is my 38th year in the helping profession, and one of the issues that we see come up over and over is, is all this, the pain and injury in relationships. And, um, you know, the word betrayal really is a trust that's been broken, and there's many different ways and relationships that that can happen in.
2: Let's open up by uh, digging into this topic. It's your first topic in the book, Understanding Addiction. Help us with that.
3: Yes. So as we look at addiction, and addiction... There's three things happening right now in our country as far as it relates to mental health issues. One is the whole issue of um, anxiety levels have never been higher. It's the most common diagnosis that we have right now, anxiety. Uh, the other is depression, and the third one is addiction. So anytime we see anxiety levels go up, Pat, we see um, the whole area of addiction going up. Now, that could be digital addiction, social media addiction, food addiction. Alcohol, misuse of prescription drugs, addiction comes in many different forms.
2: Let's jump to the topic number two, understanding the addict in your life. How difficult is that?
3: (laughs) Understanding the addict in your life. Well, here's what we know about an addict. An addict um, can be deceptive, and they are. They can be dishonest, and they are. They can also be manipulative, and they are. So an addict, what happens is you need to understand and separate the addiction. We've got the addiction going on, and we have the person who we really know. And we do need to separate those. What that looks like is simply the uh, addict will do anything to get the substance, the chemical, because that's what an addiction does. And so you will see this deception. You will see this lying. And so understanding the addiction means I've got to, look beyond that to remember who is this person before the addiction.
2: How you can help your loved one is your third topic. Uh, Fill us in on that.
3: How to help your loved one. Well, one is when you're dealing with addictions, and even it could be um, food, pornography. um, One of the things that you're going to be dealing with is um probably not doing this alone. It can be extremely draining. I was just talking to a mother recently and she says, "You know, I know my son is struggling. He's got an addiction. He I saw him and I knew it was wrong, but I gave him $20." Mm-hmm. And it just I was hoping he would buy food, but I knew better. And and that's what happens. That's how we get we get sucked into it. And, you know, we we may do things out of love, but what happens is it ends up being hurtful and harmful.
2: Greg, how do addictions get started?
3: Well, addictions oftentimes, you know, there's a lot, and that's a great question. As we look at addictions, Pat, well, how do these things take over a person's life and get such a stronghold? Um, at times we do know there is a if you will, a, a brain issue that makes the brain a little more because the chemistries get off, a little more prone to cravings. We have chemicals in our brain, serotonin, dopamine, these are important chemicals, but sometimes uh an addiction you you crave more and more, so there's craving is that genetic potential for influence. It doesn't mean if you grew up in generations of alcoholism, it does not mean at all that you're going to do the same thing, but this could mean that you could have a tendency to lean that way. So then the other, we want to talk about is addiction start when there's um, maybe trauma or there's something that's happened and you learn to cope with it through, you wanted to feel different. So uh, be, be it alcohol, you started drinking early on, just to feel different. So, Different path to start a, an addiction, um, but an addiction has a predictable course. It's going to take us down a path, ultimately, of self-destruction. Uh,
2: there's a fourth topic uh, in your book. Dr. Greg Jantz is our guest. Uh, we're talking about when a loved one is addicted. How do you support your loved one in treatment and beyond?
3: Yeah, supporting a loved one in treatment and beyond and Sometimes we don't know what that beyond looks like. You know, the last three years we've seen a real increase in addictions, real high increase. And what's happened is um, people are are seeking help like never before. We're in a we're really in a mental health crisis in our country because the needs are great and the ability to meet those needs is, is challenged. So, uh, as we support our loved one in recovery, it usually means we need to get some support ourselves. It usually means we need to understand uh, that we need support. We need to be careful that we're not falling back into that codependent behavior. We need to be careful that we're not um, carrying the other person's decisions. You know, we can feel like we failed. If they have a relapse, to go, ah, oh, you know, because addiction is powerful. Addiction has a ripple effect to all of our family members.
2: Greg, do you think uh, addicts want to get well? Or do they have to force to be get well? And how effective is treatment and how long does it last?
3: Yeah, do addicts really want to get well? Um, they know, Despite what they say, they know that this is uh, not healthy. They know it's not good. But sometimes they'll say things like, I don't know any other way. This is what I'm destined for. I can't seem to quit. There is not hope. So that's the thinking. Um, so we need to show them that, first of all, yes, it may take some several attempts, but you can recover. And, yes, uh, there is recovery, and it's better than what you're doing now. So um, we know that at some point, and we see that in our program, the center, a place of hope, we see people who recover. There's a turning point that says, okay, um, I do want to live differently Because, you know, addictions take lives, and we're about saving lives.
2: Uh, My good friend, Norm Sanju, who was the longtime general manager of the Dallas Mavericks, he had a ball player, a good ball player, who was addicted to cocaine. And Norm Norm once said to me about this player, he said, "If, if on a desk in front of him was a stack of 14 million dollars in his contract and over here on the other side was just a little little stack just a little collection of white powder yeah he said uh, this ball player uh, making the choice would take the white
3: powder um and it's almost unbelievable but that's the power of the addiction
2: does it feel good what, 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 let's talk about the drug area. You get on drugs, is it just a wonderful feeling of ecstasy? What is it?
3: Well, it's, it's a wonderful feeling initially, um, but then it's that stronghold and, it, and how it destroys you. But what happens is you will do almost anything to get that substance. That's, that's the mystery of the addiction. It is so powerful that I will put my relationships, I'll put my career, I'll put money, I'll put really my life at risk because that addiction is so powerful, and that's that's hard to understand, but that's the power of addiction.
2: And tell me about the addiction of alcohol. What is the lure there? How do you get people? How do people get hooked on on
3: alcohol? Alcohol is a slippery slope. Mm. Um, you know, you can say, well, I'll have a little bit of wine and then I do it the next night and the next night. And then I tell myself, hey, it's no big deal. I can stop anytime. And that's, it's at the very end. It's socialized. It's normalized as though, hey, this is normal. A lot of people who struggle will go through the social, uh, drinking and then there's the secret drinking. So they'll, they'll, they'll try to appear normal when they're with people where there's alcohol. But then behind the scenes, they may be secretive, uh, sneaking alcohol. And, uh, it's just a real slippery slope. One, a little bit more, a little bit more. Um, and I can tell you that that denial gets pretty strong because we do tell ourselves, Hey, no problem. I can stop anytime. No problem.
2: Greg, have you ever thought about how many times wine is mentioned in the Bible, uh, particularly Jesus turning water into wine and this huge amount of wine at this party? Does that bother you?
3: Yeah, is it, isn't it interesting? And we look at uh, wine and alcohol, and, we're, and we go, well, don't, you're not to do this in excess. Better not to drink, etc." cetera. Um, and we also look at um, the definition of wine and how... Uh, alcohol was during that time is a little bit different than what we see now. (laughs) So, you know, it was a pretty watered-down version to what we have now. That said, there's also the Scriptures that remind us it'd be better not to. So we need to remember, okay, you know, what's my vulnerabilities Um, and and perhaps I just need to stay away. It's not going to be good for me
2: when i'm asked about it i uh, i just say it it was grape juice <laughs> you know it was uh, like like a bottle of uh, welch's grape juice
3: yep yeah, yep yep it was different oh absolutely so and uh, it's important to remember that
2: uh, greg why why the anxiety these days what's going on in our world that has uh, elevated anxiety
3: you know, here's what we're seeing. Uh last two and a half, three years of um, just what we've all walked through and pandemic, etc., cetera, um, really represents, and there's a term that psychologists are using now, Pat, and it's called foreshortened future. What does that look like? That's a term that describes people don't have hope for their future, a foreshortened future. And so this is what we're seeing with our young people, extremely vulnerable ages of twelve to seventeen years old and um, we're seeing uh an addiction increase and depression and anxiety for that age group. So we're living in a world where there's not a whole lot of hope for the future. People can't see uh a positive future and and that's depressing. that creates anxiety, plus every day. It's like something new. What? The shoe's going to drop every day. There's something new. And people are doom scrolling. They're stuck on their devices in a hypnotic state searching for all the negative, and, and that's how they're living. And we need to step outside of that.
2: So, Greg, how do you counsel somebody who's dealing with anxiety? How do you, what do you do? What do you tell them? What are the steps?
3: Yeah. Well, we want to know. There's a lot of different sources of anxiety. I want to know medically. Physically, is there anything going on that could be promoting anxiety? Let's just use an example. If I have a low thyroid, uh, my thyroid gland, one of the byproducts is going to be anxiety. I'll have a biological anxiety. So I need to know, okay, my body is producing anxiety, so I need to make sure that I've covered that. The other is um, I'm going to search for is there addictions, that are secret that are going on, that's going to produce anxiety. Is there any trauma, any trauma of the past? That's going to produce anxiety. So we need to cover, I like to say cover the whole person. And when we founded the Center of Place of Hope 38 years ago, part of what our model is, is got to look at the whole person. What is going on so we can address the primary sources of that anxiety?
2: How does one get... Trained to become a professional in your field, Greg. Is it is it uh, a natural gift that you have?
3: <laughs> well, there are natural helpers, and I think God has gifted people with obviously different gifts and talents. There are those that just seem born to be a natural helper, and uh, you know, then they go to school, get the education, learn the skills, etc. But I, I know now. I, I hire and employ counselors and i employ physicians and so forth i know um and i can tell is this a calling on your life this is where your gifts and talents are the strongest or is this just a job (laughs) you know i want to go to somebody and i want i want my doctor or counselor this is their calling Mm -hmm. they know and this is what they're supposed to be doing
2: dr greg jance is with us we've been talking about When a loved one is addicted, and when we come back, we're going to talk about betrayal. Hope and help for broken relationships. Dr. Greg Jantz, what a great guest. You're listening to the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour here on the new AM 990 and FM 101.5, The Word in Orlando. We will return.
1: More of the Pat Williams Hour in just a moment. AM 990 and FM 101.5, The Word. You're listening to the Pat Williams Power Hour, AM 990 and FM 101.5, The Word. Now, here's Pat. Greg Jance,
2: our guest. He's out west in the Seattle, uh, Washington area. And Greg, as I mentioned before the break, uh, betrayal, hope and help for broken relationships. So I want just a preview of what you're writing here and why this is an important <laughs> topic.
3: And let me just say, this is one of my little mini books, because when you're hurting and you're in betrayal, you want some quick answers. Mm-hmm. Betrayal is, is a word that is a stunning word. If I've been betrayed, it could be it's because of relationship and trust was broken. I can be betrayed in many different ways. I can be betrayed by the media. I wasn't told the truth. I can be betrayed in a relationship that there was secrets and things were being hidden from me. Betrayal. Uh, betrayal is so difficult because in relationships where there should be trust, there's not. And it's it's an overwhelming emotion when you realize that you have suffered betrayal because you have given your trust, put your trust in another person. It could even be a, a boss, an employer. And uh, you were betrayed, and that's because trust was broken. It's... It's an overwhelming emotion.
2: Greg, the first topic in this uh, book is called the earthquake of betrayal. Uh, explain that to us. Uh, earthquake. Boy, that sounds powerful.
3: Yeah. Anytime there's betrayal, it, it shatters everything in our life. It causes us to question what's wrong with me. That's what betrayal does. What did I do wrong to deserve this? Um so it is a earthquake throughout your whole life because then you go, well, can I trust others? Do I, can, are others are are trustworthy? And so that's where we're at with betrayal. And I, I put this together because I've seen so, so many people so injured. And if we do not recover from this, Pat, we carry it into all of our relationships, uh, this distrust.
2: You move then to the second topic. You call it the shockwaves of betrayal. What's the difference between the earthquake and the shockwaves?
3: Yeah. Pathways to betrayal. Well, here's the thing. Um, We may be involved with somebody and even, um, well, I'll use marriage. And you've had a longstanding uh, relationship with them that uh, you think is built on trust, a foundation of trust. Um, It could even be. Uh, a situation where, um, the betrayal is so strong. So, uh, infidelity would be an example, emotional affairs. And these happen, these happen slowly, usually and subtly. A person becomes vulnerable and a pathway to, uh, betrayal is a vulnerability. I start to allow, um, I start to allow things to happen that are not healthy. And I'm because I'm vulnerable. Uh,
2: but then you move uh, to topic three: rebuilding the foundation. How do how do we do that, Greg?
3: Yeah, how do we rebuild a foundation? There's a word when we've been betrayed and maybe multiple betrayals, uh, and we decide, you know what? I'm either going to live in waves of depression, waves of anger or I have to figure out how am I going to go forward. And going forward means there's one uh, one word we've got to mention, and it's the word forgiveness. Um, forgiveness is, is both self-forgiveness, I have to forgive myself at times, which means uh, I'm no longer going to punish myself. Um, and I may need to forgive those who have betrayed me which means it simply means I'm going to learn to let go. I'm going to learn to uh, allow God to help me here, but I'm not going to let them have power over my well-being. Such an important concept to understand, power over my well-being. And that's the pathway of forgiveness is to set yourself free, not the other person necessarily.
2: Greg, at the end of this little book, uh, you write about the emotional e- equilibrium during life's seismic shifts. Uh, that sounds really intriguing to me. Uh, explain that.
3: Well, our goal here is to really be at a place of what we want to say is a healthy relationship and a healthy self. And what does healthy self look like? Um, healthy self looks like I'm going to maintain my well-being. I'm going to, I think I've got to do exercise, my spiritual well-being. I've got to look at nutrition. How am I going to fortify myself, uh, to be healthy? So we're looking really at my own wellness and well-being in order to address these issues. Because the stronger I am and the stronger my emotional well-being is, I have to learn how to deal with successfully my life, anger, fear, guilt kind of some of those challenging emotions. Um, We love to be around people who are emotionally healthy. They're like a magnet. Um, We want to be in relationship with them. But a person who radiates anger, a person who radiates uh, resentment, uh, they like repel us. And so our commitment is, I'm going to do what I need to do to have whole person wellness in my life.
2: Greg, uh, let me tell you a quick little story. Years and years ago... Uh, Walt Disney said there are three kinds of people in this world. Uh, The first kind of people he called well poisoners. They're negative, downtrodden, uh, defeated, and uh, everybody around them feels that, and they drag people down. Then he said the second kind of people are lawnmowers, good citizens. They cut their grass, and they fly the flag on the 4th of July, and they... Go to the PTA meetings, and they vote, and they're just good. They're solid citizens, and we've got a whole country of them. And then the third kind of people, he said, are life enhancers. These are people who are upbeat, positive, enthusiastic. Uh, they're energetic about you, and they want to see you successful, and they rejoice when you're successful. And uh, Walt said, cut out the well poisoners, tolerate the lawnmowers, and... Uh, have as many life enhancers around you as you can. What do you think of that?
3: I love that. Life enhancers. What a great term. A life enhancer is somebody that um, adds value to you and adds value in a relationship. Absolutely.
2: Greg, how do, you, how do you decide if you need counseling? How do you decide where to go and who to seek out and how do you determine who's a good counselor for you?
3: Yes. Well, one of the things that we know is uh, if I've been struggling in two months have passed, three, mo- three months have passed, I may need to look at, okay, what do I need uh, to do? Because mental health issues left unattended can kind of take you down a road and path you don't want to go. And part of our whole person wellness means, well, I'm willing to look at what I need to. And so when issues don't go away, they can be a ticking time bomb. They can bring it, affect our health, and we need to make a decision. So, okay, I've got to address some things. I am committed to my wellness and my and well-being because, um, you know, depression is like uh, over time it can get worse. Anxiety can get worse. Um, we've got to move away from addictive uh, tendencies as well. So,
2: What do you want people to take from uh, our discussion, Greg?
3: Uh, that there's hope and hope comes when there's a plan. And part of a plan sometimes is I need to ask for help. Um, I need to look at what are my, maybe it's a, one of these small books, a place to start with information. Maybe it's, I need to find out what, uh, the resources are. Um, if I'm struggling with depression, well, what are my options? But use today to take a baby step and decide, okay, I'm going to look at at doing some things and finding out what are are the resources.
2: Greg, uh, can people reach out to you, or how how does that work? Do you like to hear from listeners like this?
3: Oh, I love to hear. And one of the things is by going to aplaceofhope.com, aplaceofhope.com, there is a, a, by the way, it's a wonderful depression test. It's private. It's online. You can Say, well, where do I score on some of these issues? And um, I've got lots of free downloads. So gather up some of that good information that's available.
2: Uh, Folks, our guest has been Dr. Greg Jantz, founder of The Center, A Place of Hope. We've been talking about books with him today, his books, When a Loved One is Addicted and Betrayal. Well, we've got more. Stay with us here on the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour. You're listening to the new AM 990 and FM 101.5, The Word in Orlando.
1: We'll be right back. More of the Pat Williams Hour in just a moment. AM 990 and FM 101.5, The Word. You're listening to the Pat Williams Power Hour, AM 990 and FM 101.5, The Word.
2: Now, here's Pat. Dr. Greg Jantz uh, was our guest in that uh, first segment, uh, talking about his book, A Loved One is Addicted and Betrayal. Uh, He is in Edmonds, Washington. Well, we stay in the state of Washington. We're in Spokane, and uh, that's where Brian Noble is, CEO and Executive Director of Peacemaker Ministries. Uh, Brian, I'm glad that you have time for us. How are you?
4: I'm doing great. Thank you for having me on today.
2: Brian's new book is called Living Reconciled, Seven Ways to Bring Peace to Your Most Difficult Relationships. Brian, how did the book come about? Why was it important for you to write it?
4: Well, at Peacemaker Ministries, we help a lot of people in conflict, you know, and as we work with them, one of the things that we see is, what if the other person doesn't respond in a way that honors and glorifies God? So out of that, I, I went to scripture and said, let's find a place in scripture that is kind of concise and, and helps us to understand what do we do if the other person doesn't respond? And so, um, and so in second Corinthians chapter five, we, we wrote a book and we, you know, as I look at it, I say, God, you have a plan for everything. You have a, a, a plan to, to help us in those tough and difficult relationships
2: tell me a little bit more about uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 5
4: Well, when we start out with the with the book, we uh, the chapter, we we see that Paul is writing to the Corinthians and and they're having some strange relationships and and he reminds them that we live in a temporal world, that this world is, you know, is like a tent and uh and so oftentimes this this scripture is really it is quoted at funerals and different things uh like that, but the the reality is it's really talking about our relationships and how we interact with each other and it's never fun, Pat, when my tent hits your tent and we're living close together, <laughs> and we're just having a lot of difficulties, but when we understand that when we get before the presence of God that it will be eternal that it'll be solid and it'll be a rock, then um that will help us and Paul gives us some courageous attitudes that we can have, he gives us some direction in this chapter as to what we 're called to do uh, with with our relationships
2: <clears throat> Brian, you open your book with this topic. be real. tough relationships are inevitable. Tell us more
4: yeah I, I work with a lot of people, and i don 't know why um, why, why we 've adopted this, but we somehow think that this side of heaven is rainbows glitter and butterflies and the reality is, it's not. It's it is a fallen world. It is um, a place where we groan or long for uh, relationships that are that are better. We we long for the fallenness of this world not to be here, and um, and so when you think through that, if our expectation is that everything's going going to be perfect on this earth, or is going to, you know, um, just turn out. Hunky dory, you might say that's some kind of an old expression, but um, but it is, and realize it's not. You're going to be disappointed in those times. So to back up and not have a martyrdom attitude or a bad attitude, but just a realistic attitude. You know what? In this world, on this side of heaven, things can be tough, and they aren't perfect yet. And we're all fallen human beings, um, and God wants to save us by His grace. And so um that's where we started out start out with a reality check that our our, our relationships can, can be very tough at times.
2: Now let's move to the second topic you write about. Be brave. Reconciliation is eventual.
4: Yeah, there's a lot of people I would say that, you know, the old thing, you're so heavily minded, you're no earthly good. And I would say I find most people are very earthly minded, they're no heavily good. Um, and the reality is, is that uh, eternity is where all of our imperfections and sinfulness and fallenness will be dealt with, and we will be perfect and complete, lacking nothing uh, in the presence of, of God. And so when you set relationships in, in in the perspective of eternity, you'll have more days wholly complete with the person you're married to, or whoever, um, than you will in this, in this fallen world. And so... We know that God reconciles everything completely when it comes to heaven. We're not going to be partially reconciled in heaven. We're not going to be partially um, put back together uh, in heaven. But everything is going to be taken care of. And I believe that everything includes our relationships in a way that brings honor and and glory to our Heavenly Father.
2: Now tell us about uh, topic three, you have everything you need.
4: Yeah, Paul's very specific that the Holy Spirit has been given as a pledge. And so this is like an inheritance. It's a, it's a endowment that God is not holding anything back from us. And I think sometimes in our, in our practical theology, we have um, this idea that maybe God's playing eternal hide and go seek or he's holding back. But in 2 Corinthians 5, 5, he says, who gave us the Spirit as a pledge. Um, therefore, be of good courage. And so God has given us that, that ability to, to walk in newness of life. He's not set out unrealistic expectations and then torturing us to try to figure out how to make those things uh, accomplished. But he really steps back and says, listen, I have placed the Holy Spirit inside of every believer and they have that power plant to motivate them, to encourage them, to empower them to godly responses. Um, those Godly responses are not dependent upon the other person's response back to you. So when when you look at that, you you can have a self-controlled response. You can have a response with patience, and kindness, and gentleness, and clarity, and and truth, and all the things that God uh, desires for us to walk in. And so um, the Holy Spirit is inside every believer and giving them the power to to walk out daily what God has called us to walk
2: out. Ryan, there there seems to be a lot of confusion about the Holy Spirit. Can you expand on the fact that uh, when we accept Christ, the Holy Spirit is implanted within us. That's all we need. That's all we'll never need. There aren't two, three, five, or seven more doses coming down the road. I need you to expand on that.
4: (laughs) Yeah, so this is oftentimes confused. So, First off, we've got to understand, we don't serve three separate gods, right? We don't serve, we don't somehow get the Father in us, somehow get Jesus in us, and hopefully we get the Holy Spirit in us. That's not how it works. Um, when 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 Jesus steps into life, the whole package comes in, you might say, we Father, Son, Holy Spirit, you know, it, one God, and so He's inside of us. And what oftentimes confuses the people is when we, you know, when we look at Scripture about the empowerment for ministry, see... It's allowing the Holy Spirit to flow out of us in order to reach um, those around us who don't have the gospel message. And so our language oftentimes in the Christian circles are like uh, very, you know, uh, poor theology, like, you know, pray that you can get more of the Holy Spirit or pray that you, you know, and it's almost, it, it's just not an accurate theology, uh, I, you know, really what we need to say is, Pray that we're humble to re- to use what God's already given us. <laughs> so I, you know, it's not like like you said. It's not like you get fifty percent of the Holy Spirit and then somehow you try to get seventy five percent and it becomes a merit type of system. Uh, it really is. You have everything you need to live a life of godliness. Uh, Peter explains that in Second Peter. Um, it, he, God's granted it to us through His divine um, wisdom and, and and He's put it inside of every believer.
2: My guest is Brian Noble. He's in Spokane, Washington. We're talking about his book, Living Reconciled. And and, and this fourth topic of yours, uh, Brian, you talk about chapter headings. Go crazy for God's glory. I love that. Uh, what's it mean?
4: Well, you think about history, there's been men and women throughout history who God has caused um, a, or given them a challenge to do something that from a worldly perspective, looks completely crazy. Um, But from a God perspective, it's a life of faith. So if you look at Noah, completely crazy to build a a boat in the middle or an ark in the middle of, you know, where he was. And it looked crazy. But for for Noah, he went crazy for God's glory. He says, you know what, this is what the Lord spoke to me, and I'm going to do it uh, unto the Lord. Um, Abraham sacrificing his son, um, you know, we can just... um, we can just go one thing after another um, to 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 figure out what can we do to bring glory to, to God almighty and what I do is I take and I liken that to the idea that that um, um, maybe God's going to cause you to respond totally different than what the world would respond to your injustice in a relationship to how it's broken in your marriage and and really live out second Corinthians five thirteen which is if, we're, if we are beside ourselves, it is for God. If we are sound judgment, it is for you. And so the idea of being beside ourselves, going crazy for God's glory, saying, you know what? I know this is not how the world responds. I understand that this is not how uh, you know, earthly justice looks like, but I'm going to bring glory and honor to God despite how I'm being treated by others, despite how uh, others may think or, or even counsel me at times. Um, to do, because I, I want to I bring God, uh, give the attention over to God.
2: Brian, tell us about um, courageous attitude number one, you are controlled by Christ's love.
4: Yeah, so Paul says it in verse 14, he says, for the love of Christ controls us. And when you read that, it doesn't say, um, you know, we might be controlled by Christ's love, um, we could be controlled by Christ's love. It is really a proclamation for the love of Christ controls us. Having concluded this, that one Jesus died for all, therefore all have died. So at the gospel message, where we um, uh, where we enter into that relationship with God, that we understand that same power plant that's inside of us means that Christ's love is controlling us. So what is Christ's love? The best ex- explanation of that is First Corinthians thirteen, which says, "Love is patient, love is kind." So kindness. Can control us. You say, well, I don't feel kind. Well, unfortunately, the Holy Spirit is not a feeling. He's a a fact. (laughs) So it it is because of the proclamation. No, the Holy Spirit abides inside of me, so therefore kindness controls me. I'm going to always uh, encourage people to believe what God has to say to them uh, about them versus what their emotions or their thoughts say about them. And so Paul makes this proclamation for the love of Christ controls us. And then he brings up a gospel um, declaration that says it's based upon the gospel message, not upon works.
2: Now we move to courageous attitude number two. Courageous attitude number one was you're controlled by Christ's love. Courageous attitude number two, you no longer live for yourself.
4: Yeah, so verse 15 says, And he died for all, Christ died for all, so that, and I love those so that's in the scriptures, they who live might no longer live for themselves. So when I'm looking at the Scripture, I just want to take it as literal as possible. It is saying to us, there's a reason the gospel message is applied in the believer's heart. Why? So that they no longer live for themselves. Here's what I find in myself and with friends and people who who we help in conflict, is that oftentimes we think the gospel is so that, you know, I, I can... X, Y, and Z. The gospel is. No, it's so when we get, we boil it down, at least from this particular scripture, it's, it's this selflessness that we can have in this moment where we don't live for ourselves, including our relationships, not just not living for ourselves on Sunday mornings or during our worship experience or whatever it might, our context that might be for us. But to come to that place and say, you know what? I, I, the truth is, I have been set apart by God. So that i don't live for myself any longer but i live for him if you re- finish that verse but for him who died and rose again so we begin to live for a different reason and it's not a selfish reason but a selfless reason
2: brian noble is uh inspiring us he's really helping us here courageous attitude number three brian you recognize no one according to the flesh uh, what's that mean
4: well, verse 16 says, therefore, from now on, we recognize no one according to the flesh. And so these statements are building, if you notice, like, I'm controlled by Christ's love, I'm not living for myself. And now, when I look at others, I'm not looking at their fallenness any longer. I'm looking at what God's doing in their redemptive story and redeeming them. And I think it's very easy in conflict or in marriage or in while you're pastoring or whatever, to continually define people according to their flesh or their fallenness. And and what we back up and we say, listen, I know that's the truth. We're not talking about shoving stuff under the or you know, stuff under the rug or something like that. But the primary thought about a person shouldn't be how how they sinned against me, how they how they sinned against others and carrying a grudge or unforgiveness or bitterness. But our primary thought should be, you know what, Jesus died for that person. Jesus is redeeming that person. Jesus is is bringing about a newness of life in that person. Uh, and if some, sometimes at this point, people say, well, what if they're not a Christian? And I say, well, all the more a uh, reason to begin to by faith say, well, Jesus is drawing that person to the cross and, and, and died for that person, that sinner. And so what we need to understand that, that when we define people according to the flesh, we see only the part of their fallenness and not their redemptive story. Now, before you think I'm I'm crazy about this, go read Philippians chapter 4 and Paul's counsel to Iodians and Tiki. And he tells them, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is lovely, whatever is excellent, whatever is worthy of praise, dwell and think on these things. In other words, he's saying, ladies, stop defining each other according to their fallenness and start defining them with the lens or perspective of God.
2: Brian Noble is our guest. We've got more. Talking about his book, Living Reconciled. You're listening to the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour here on the new AM 990 and FM 101.5, The Word in Orlando. We'll be right back.
1: More of the Pat Williams Hour in just a moment. AM 990 and FM 101.5, The Word. You're listening to the Pat Williams Power Hour, AM 990 and FM 101.5, The Word now, here's Pat. Brian Noble is our guest. His book,
2: Living Reconciled, and Brian, we've arrived at courageous attitude number four. You see others is brand new.
4: Yeah, so I love this part because, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old things have passed away. Behold, new things have come. And the reality is that most of our lives, we want people to see us the newness that God's doing in us. Can we? We need to be people who extend that same grace and say, "You know what? God is doing a brand new thing in that person as well." It's again, it's based upon that gospel message, that redemptive work of Jesus Christ that comes in and says, "Hey, I am doing a work, and I'm faithful to complete it, and I'm I'm doing something in that other person like like, like that could be surprising to you." If you think about when you were dating your spouse or uh, when you were trying to in, intrigue them or woo them into marriage, I can guarantee that you saw more newness in that person than you did see about their old self. And so to back up and say, I'm going to have that same perspective, looking for the things that God is doing in the life of another person, and and even if they're treating you unjustly, to begin to say, hey, I'm, I'm going to have a God perspective here. And because I want to be seen as brand new, I'm going to extend that grace to others to be seen as brand new.
2: Let's go ahead now and move to courageous attitude number five. You have a ministry.
4: Yes. So now all these things are from God who reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Uh, so we see in Second Corinthians 5.18 that God entrusted to us uh, a reconciliation, a ministry of reconciliation. Now, some have taken this whole section just to talk about uh, a, a personal response to the gospel. And I think that's probably a first or primary, primarily responsibility but or interpretation. Um, but when I look at it, I would also say there's a secondary thing, is that God wouldn't have us say, well, let's call people to the cross and call people to the gospel message, and then somehow say, but we're going to have broken relationships all around us. No it it it's the greatest commandment is true, love God and love others, and so our reconciliation that we have with God, if we want to truly extend that to others, we need to do what Jesus says in in John chapter thirteen. They will know that you are my disciples by your love for each other, your relationships with each other, the way you interact with each other. So I think that we need to go, yes, the gospel message for salvation. And yes, the gospel message for sanctification, where we truly understand that how we interact is a ministry, an example of that reconciliation to the world, to those around us, so that they will see the gospel message, not just in words, but in our actions and how we how we interact with each other.
2: Brian, tell us about uh, courageous attitude number six. You have stopped counting. Uh, what does that mean?
4: Well, in 2 Corinthians 5.19, it says "Namely, that God in Christ reconciled the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and he has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Um, so we have a number of scriptures where Paul challenges uh, the believer, imitate me as I imitate Christ. Um, do the things that God does. And so one of the greatest messages that we can understand is that God doesn't keep a scoreboard of sin. Uh, for for us as believers, he doesn't keep a tally of number of fouls or how we've broken the rules in the game or just, you know, time outs that we've had. He tears down the scoreboard. And I can tell you my relationship with my wife, Tanya, that it has been one of those things where if I've kept or erected a scoreboard that um, that said, hey, she's done this and she's done this, the laundry list of the offenses. Um, I know that, A, I'm not going to have God's peace and so live in reconciliation with my wife. But, B, I'm not extending the grace that God's given me. He tore down my scoreboard. He didn't count my trespasses against me. And so how do we tear down the scoreboard of others? Well, we just say, By, through the blood of Jesus Christ, I no longer keep track um, uh, of people's sins. So in 1 Corinthians 13, it says it this way, that we keep no record of wrong. You know, and and we really allow... God to do the work and to tear down that scoreboard. We stop counting other people's trespasses. Uh,
2: I do want to get into this topic with you, Brian. Uh, Courageous attitude number seven. You are a reconciler. What does that mean?
4: Yeah, so Paul says you are ambassadors for Christ as though you are making an appeal for us uh, on behalf of Christ Recon, be reconciled to God so as ambassadors as reconcilers to um, by God we are living in a foreign land we are living in a land that's not heaven yet it's but God has sent us uh, uh, into this land to really be a, a billboard for uh, for the kingdom that is to come that, that heaven and so it's not just that we're trying to be reconcilers but because um, God, through the Holy Spirit, dwells inside of us, we, that's who we are. God, Jesus is the reconciler of the world, and He dwells inside of us. It's like if I said to you, um, you know, hey, try to make peace in this situation, or I said to you, the Prince of Peace is dwelling in you, so let the natural byproduct of your life, life be a life of peace. One is based upon works, and one is based upon who you are, your identity in Christ Jesus, And I'm using that same idea as ambassadors, as reconcilers, that because the reconciler dwells inside of us, that makes us a a reconciler by default, because that's our identity.
2: Bob, now, uh, I mean, Brian, now tell us about uh, the final topic. At your greatest point of injustice, uh, what is that about?
4: Well, when you think about Jesus... Um, he is and was sinless, and yet he died for the sinful on the cross. So when we walk this path, we call ourselves Christ followers, which means that we're following Christ in his example. And in 2 Corinthians 5.21, it says, He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we may become the righteousness of God. So I I think we like to follow Jesus and His miracles. We like to follow Him and the feeding of the 5,000. We like to follow Him and, uh, you know, all the outward things. But are we following Him to the cross, especially in our relationships? There was a conflict between humanity and God, and this conflict was so great. It was called sin, and sinless died for sinful. And we say, well, I like I like the the miracles of God. I like walking on the water. I like... You know, all these other things, but dying when I'm not, when I was never wrong, how can I do that? That wouldn't be truthful. That wouldn't be authentic. That wouldn't be whatever. And I I will let you know that uh, the cross is 100% authentic. Jesus wasn't authentic by dying for us. So we like to say this at your greatest point of injustice is your greatest opportunity for Christ likeness. Now think, you know, we can think about that for a moment. When I have been mistreated, it's my greatest opportunity to be like Christ. And what does that mean? Exercise humility, speak the truth, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do, as, as Jesus said on the cross, um, do it in a way that's loving, compassionate, and them and back to the cross. Um, and so that's what that whole chapter is about. I think oftentimes in this world we are looking for um, justice now, and, and it's, it's great if it happens. But the reality is justice will come when the just one, God, the Father, steps in and he rules and reigns over this earth versus um, men and women ruling and reigning over this earth.
2: At the end of your book, Brian, why be reconciled a devotional month? Uh, Fill us in.
4: Yeah, so I I really know that as Christians we have a tendency to get principles in our hearts and our minds, and if we don't encounter it for, you know, at least an extended period of time, we have a tendency to forget. Uh, so I was like, what can we do at the end of this book that um, helps people build spiritual muscle in in living a reconciled life? And so we put a 31-day devotional at the end, and it's simply asking the question, why be reconciled? So each day, um, it goes through that question and looks at it from uh, different scriptures. It goes out of Second Corinthians. I mean, it steps away from Second Corinthians 5 and looks at different uh, other scriptures and says, why should I be reconciled? And so I'm um, just incorporating that in to, to build some spiritual muscle so that it becomes a lasting, changing um, thing in our hearts. That it's not just, oh, I read that book and, uh, you know, I'm done. And, and move on, but really to go, go back to the Word of God and let it transform us from the inside out.
2: Our guest has been Brian Noble, the book Living Reconciled. We've got to wrap up right after this on the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour. It's the new AM 990 and FM 101.5, The Word in
1: Orlando. We'll be right back. More of the Pat Williams Hour in just a moment. AM 990 and FM 101.5, The Word. You're listening to the Pat Williams Power Hour, AM 990 and FM 101.5, The Word. Now,
2: here's Pat. Thanks so much for joining us here on the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour. We're always grateful when you plug in. Uh, Dr. Greg Jance was with us in that first segment talking about when a loved one is addicted. That's his latest book. And then Brian Noble uh, came in and talked about Living Reconcile, 2 Corinthians chapter. Five Boy, we had a good visit. Good visit with him. Uh, folks, my latest book is is out. It's called Every Day is Game Day. Uh, I did it with uh, my friend Mark Atterberry. And uh, you can go up to uh, Amazon and order it. Uh, every Day is Game Day. It's a 365-page devotional uh, with a sports story or theme with every day. And then it leads into the devotional aspect. I think you'll... Find it uh, enjoyable. And if you've got a sports kid in your family, this will fit in really well. Well, folks, uh, we're back next weekend for more on the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour. Have a wonderful week ahead. And stay tuned all day long to the new AM 990 and FM 101.5, The Word in Orlando. Uh, you'll be better off for it. See you next week and Have a great week ahead. And God bless.
1: Thank you for joining us for this week's edition of the Pat Williams Power Hour. Join us again next week at this time where faith comes by hearing the new AM 990 and FM 101.5, The Word.